0: church. Glad you guys are all here today. So amazing just to be able to listen to you guys sing and to, to peek, if you will, and to look around and just see this church gathered together on a day like this. It just warms my soul. Good for my heart. Hey, if you got a Bible, I'd invite you to grab it. Go to the book of Hebrews. That's where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't fret. We're going to have the verses on the screen. But if you want a Bible, we have Bibles we can give to you. There's some at the Lost and Found that make great gifts. If you want to get one of those, uh, you can go grab one of them as well. Uh, But Hebrews is where we're gonna be today. Uh, We've been walking word by word, verse by verse through this book written to a church that was going through different circumstances that we have a lot in common with. We're learning about how they have navigated life when it may have been easy to let go of the faith that they have in Jesus. So let's dive in. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Last week, we got a little bit into chapter 10. We're going to pick up today at verse 19. I'm going to read to you 19 through 25. So you kind of get the whole idea, but we're not going to get all the way to 25 because it's good stuff. This is the word of God. Let's read along. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the truth that is here. Father, we show up today from all sorts of different backgrounds and backstories. Today, we are gathered with people with different political parties, different pigmentation, different socioeconomic statuses. But the one thing we all have in common is today we need this gospel to change us. We need this message to not leave us where we are. And Jesus, I confess in front of my friends and in front of you, most importantly, that I and my words alone are fully incapable of doing that. So we depend on your word being living and active so that it changes us. No matter how young we are showing up today, no matter how old we are showing up today, you long to do something new in us. And you have a word for every single person watching here, listening later, or listening online now. So Jesus, we long for you to speak. Jesus, allow your spirit inside of us to even interpret the things that are going on inside of us that we can't even put words to. And let us have an encounter with you today to where we can leave and go throughout our week knowing that today we met with the living God. In your name, amen. Well, today, church, we enter into the lettuce patch of the book of Hebrews. When I say lettuce patch, it's because today you're gonna see what we just read, lettuce, and there's three lettuces. I'm gonna show them here to you today. They're these. There they are. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up on them. You saw those as we read through. He gives them these implications of what we have in Christ. And then he says, because of what we have in Christ, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us not waver. And then he says, let us stir up one another. So this is where we're going to be going for the next three weeks. Today, we're going to lean into let us draw near. Next week, it's going to be hold fast. And after that, we're going to talk about let us stir up one another to love and good work. So today, I want to specifically lean into that first one of let us us draw near. The reason we're going to lean in heavy to this and the reason I couldn't do all three of these at one time, no matter how fast I'm able to talk, is because if you don't get this one, you cannot hold fast and you will never be able to fully stir up one another to love and good deeds. It is all contingent on us drawing near to the throne of grace, approaching with confidence the Jesus that we have. Now, Let's dive into our verse. Uh, If you can, we'll show that here. Hebrews 10 is where we're starting. Uh, Chapter 19 is where we're jumping in. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So let's just start, kind of pick these words apart. Therefore, brothers, and sisters, hey, everybody, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Let's talk about this confidence. And let's talk about why he's saying, therefore. If you've been tracking with us as we've been navigating through the book of Hebrews, what you have found is we spent 10 chapters. Really, the, the pastor, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has explaining to a church who is experiencing facing hardships and trials. They were experiencing things where they were having this propensity to maybe let go of their faith or downgrade their faith in Jesus so that it was not as strong as it would be. So what's happening over and over again is this pastor is encouraging them in this book of the Bible to hold fast, don't let go, don't give up. He is encouraging them over and over again by showing them what they have in Jesus. He's gone through all of that at length. And now at chapter 10, 11, and 12, and on to the rest of the end of the book, he's going to explain, okay, because of who we have in Jesus and what he's done for us, here is what we need to actually do. And the first thing that he says is we need to draw near. We need to enter in with confidence. Now, why is he saying come in with confidence? He's bringing them to this place of confidence because he wants them to understand that in Jesus, they have two really critical things. He's telling them that they have access in Jesus and they have an advocate in Jesus. They have access, come on, access and an advocate in Jesus. When he says access, what this means is now I actually have access to God Because of Jesus' shed blood, he spent the last three chapters leaning into this heavily. He's saying, hey, you guys remember, we couldn't really connect with God or we would have to go through that and we would do that once a year. He's saying now, because of Jesus' blood, anybody and everybody can have access to God, but it was paid for at a very, very steep price. And the very, very steep price was the blood of Christ. So think about it this way. Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross is what unlocks the door and gives us access back to God. His sacrifice pays for our redemption. That's what we just got through singing about. So it gives us access to be able to connect with the Father in a way we never could before. But it's not just like Jesus opened the garage door and said, come in anytime you want. He's both the one who opens the door and he's the one who stands at the door, beckoning all to come in and to connect with his Father. And so he's the advocate, he's the go-between. He's the one who is the great intercessor who says to broken, fallen humanity, please come in, see the door that I've opened for you to connect with the father. I am coming, I'm pleading with you. Look at what has been opened. Look at what has now happened. I have given my life to make this passage. He even calls himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's nobody who's gonna get to this father unless they go through me. He's saying, I'm not just the one who opened the door. I'm the one who will allow you and guide you through this door to meet with my Father. So let's go back to the verse and see what is continuing to talk about here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, again, because we have an advocate who's given us access, to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, remember, big question here. Let's see if you guys can get it. We've been in Hebrews for like 43 weeks, all right? Who was the book of Hebrews written to? Way to go. Some of you were nervous. Uh, There's some of you who are like, Hebrews, yeah, it was written in Hebrews, okay? So these are people who did not grow up in situations and circumstances like you did. We've only, for the most part, most everybody in this room, you, you've grown up under the new covenant that, that I always could pray and talk to God. I can always have access to him. They did not grow up in that. So when we hear holy places as, as modern American Christians, when you hear holy places, what are some of the places you think about as far as holy places go? So you can yell it out, it's church. Church, like, yeah, this building. You know, or, or a prayer room or a prayer, prayer closet. Those are holy places. When they would have heard the term holy places, we gotta understand context so we can understand what this really means for us. When they would have heard holy places, their mind would have went back to one or two places, the tabernacle or the temple. And in both the tabernacle and the temple, there was this specific room that was called the holy of holies. And that's where they believed, because God told them it was this way, that's where God's presence resided. Now, as far as this holy of holies goes, this is where the Ark of the Covenant, this is where uh, the, Ten Com- the commandments were all at. This is where when the priest would go in and on the day of atonement offer a sacrifice, blood and everything, we already talked about that a little bit. He would do it in this place that is this holy of holies. Now, track with me here. This is one person who's able to go into this place one time a year. So the holy place, the place where God is, one guy once a year, that's all who have access. Dividing the outer parts of the tabernacle or the temple from the Holy of Holies was this big giant and it's kind of understatement to call it a curtain. It was actually more thick wise. It's almost like there was a giant rug that hung that separated the outer parts of the temple or tabernacle from this inner holy of holies. And so what the pastor is saying here in this passage is now this holy place is something that we have confidence to enter into. Not just one guy, once a year, all of us, if we have allowed Jesus's blood, by faith in what he's done for us, his finished sacrifice. If we are in Christ by faith now, we have access, not once a year, any time we want to enter into this holy place that is no longer a place that has GPS coordinates in Jerusalem. But this holy place that we can now enter into is connecting with a God who is omnipresent. That means that's a God who is everywhere at one time. That's a God who, when I say I need to draw near to God or I need to get closer to God or I need to go to God, I don't have to move a muscle. I can go to him because if I am in him, then he is in me. So he says, we draw near with confidence to enter these holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us. Again, he gives us that access through the curtain that is through a special. What's happening here? This passage of the church in Hebrew is helping these people see how everything that was representative in their old temple finds its completion in Jesus. The living temple representing God in flesh here on earth. And so he's equating Jesus' torn and whipped flesh with the temple being torn because Jesus' flesh was whipped, beaten, torn because he bled for us. Now access has been granted. Now this is all alluding back to what we actually see happen in the gospel. I wanna show you the account in Matthew. Check this out. This is how this happened. This is when Jesus was, was giving his life for us on the cross. So says, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and he yelled up, yielded up his spirit. And behold, this is what happens after all that's going on. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. So, in this moment where Jesus' life vanishes from him, where he finally gives his life, becomes the perfect and complete sacrifice for our sins, this temple veil that was there between the Holy of Holies and any other place that people could get to, that is torn in which direction? From the top. Down. It's God's way of saying, This is my plan. There's nobody who stuck in here, snuck in here. No disciples got in here and put a little slit at the bottom and we ripped it. You know, this is no magic trick. This rug, essentially, is torn from the top to the bottom. And what's happening there on the cross is represented in what happens there in the temple. It's saying the temple of Jesus, the, the son is having his flesh torn and by that tearing of his flesh, he is, he is saying and declaring, it's God putting his stamp of approval on it that this temple and what it represents is now obsolete. This sacrifice of my son pays for it all once and for all. It's amazing. So let's continue on in our passage. So he says, this is, this is what's happening in the flesh of Jesus. The next one. There we go. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, so the access part comes from his shed blood, the advocate is him being our priest. He's the one who intercesses between us and God. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we have our first let us here in this passage. And again, this comes after understanding what we have, which is huge, all right? If you're just now starting your faith in Jesus or if you've been having faith in Jesus for a long time, you need to understand that this is how our faith operates. It operates from understanding what we have in Christ before we go to what we do in Christ. The problem with so many of us and why our faith fails is because we start trying to do things for Christ before we understand what we have in Christ. Who comes before do? So he says, we have a great high priest. We have one over the house of God who is with us, for us. Because of this, let us draw near to him. Now, let's just all pause and like take a deep breath and be, be very realistic about what you've experienced at churches before. You're now coming to a, pla- a passage in the pastor's sermon where the scripture says, let us draw near to him. Draw near to God. Let's all be honest. You could finish the sermon, couldn't you? He's about to tell us how to draw near to God. All right? So he's gonna say things like, how do we draw near to God? I read my Bible. I pray. I come to a church gathering. I help old ladies cross the road. (laughs) I don't yell at my kids a whole lot. Like, here are all the things that I do to be person who's drawing near to God. In essence, I be a good guy and I read my Bible and pray. That's how I draw near to God. Now, the fact that that's what we all naturally jump to, I think is maybe a problem because we miss out on the magnitude of this text and what it's really after. So here's what I wanna do. Before we talk about how, how we draw near to God. I want us to see what we are to draw near to that God with. We draw near to God, lean in here, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now he's talking about what does this true heart look like? Okay, this is where we're gonna have to lean in. Hearts sprinkled clean From an evil conscience. If you were here and you've walked with us through uh, chapter nine, right there at the back half, we talked about how do we get a clean conscience? How do we get a clean heart from God? What is the thing, what is the cleansing agent that can take our hearts, though they are scarlet, and wash them white as snow? What is that thing? The blood of Jesus undeniably, that the only thing that can sprinkle clean our hearts, and this is what he's referencing back here. He doesn't explicitly say a heart sprinkle clean with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience, but because of what he's already said, we know that to be true. And what he's talking about here is that part inside of you that knows you've done some things wrong. That part in you that knows that you have messed up, that inner guilt that says there's a gap between me and God because of what I've done. He says, Jesus can cleanse your heart. Jesus can make you someone who is able to offer a heart to God that is not only undivided, but is also pure. And he cleanses your heart with his blood. So there's blood and that cleanses us. It makes us have a pure conscience so we can approach God, not having to worry about, is he gonna find out about that thing I did last summer? No, one, he knows. And two, if we're in Christ, his blood covers that cleanses us from that. Now, heart sprinkled clean by blood from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, he's not talking about necessarily baptism here. I know a lot of people try to leverage this first to say everybody has to be baptism baptized. I don't necessarily think that's what he's after here. I do think it is important to be baptized. I do think it is one of the things that we need to do is the first step of surrender and faith to Christ. But I don't explicitly think that this is what this passage is talking about. When he says sprinkled clean hearts by blood that gives us a clean conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What should begin to happen in our minds is we begin to think back, okay, if I wanna understand this verse, I've gotta go back to the points in the Bible where I see these two things showing up, where I see blood and water, blood and water. Where does your mind go when you start thinking about blood and water? The cross. Let me show you a passage, a scripture from the book of John. John 19, 34. Jesus, at this point in time, he has already cried out in a loud voice and said, it is finished. He has given up his life. He is, he is dead at this point. And Jesus there in this passion narrative, as Jesus is on the cross, you need to remember, there are two other guys being crucified. Jesus is the one who dies first. Now, that's not to mean that Jesus was just not as tough as those other two guys. What had happened to Jesus is prior to him even being put on the cross, he had been flogged. What that means is they took this whip and at the end of the leather strips of that whip were sharpened down pieces of bone and glass and hooks. And they were meant to be able to whip somebody and allow those things to lodge in the back. And then when being pulled out, it would cut not just their skin, but cut deep down into even vital organs. So massive loss of blood at this point. On top of that, they make Jesus carry the cross beam of his cross up the hill to Golgotha. Now, anybody who knows anything about blood loss, when you're already having massive losses of blood, the worst thing you can possibly do is get your heart rate up because that causes blood to pump out even faster. So this is all of what's happening to Jesus in this moment. Jesus dies first. And while he is there dead, the Roman soldiers are thinking we need to do what we normally do when somebody is dead on the cross. And what they had normally done when anybody died on a cross is they would break their legs. The breaking of their legs was kinda how they knew for sure that this individual had fully died. But in order to fulfill scripture that nobody there had anything aware of, for some reason at this moment, and it's likely because Jesus had died so soon into the crucifixion, They did not break his legs, which again fulfills prophecy in scripture that goes all the way back to the Psalms. Instead, a Roman soldier takes a spear and shoves the spear into the side of Jesus, who's already dead. And upon shoving that spear into Jesus, blood and water come out. Now, I was fascinated by this and so, uh, like I do normally when this, I start to nerd out and go, well, scientifically, what is going on? Why did that happen? I don't wanna read it to you. It's fascinating. Prior to his death, the sustained rapid heartbeat caused by, science words here, hypervolemic shock also caused fluid to gather in the sac around the heart and the lungs. This gathering of fluid in the membrane around the heart is called pericardial effusion. And the fluid gathering on the lungs is called plural effusion. This explains why after Jesus died and the Roman soldier thrust the spear through his side, piercing both lungs and heart, both blood and water came from his side, just as John recorded in his gospel. Now you're like, hey, that's really cool. Why are you nerding out on us on all those things about blood and water? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When we look at what's happening here, we have this propensity to look at what happened on Good Friday and look at that scene and go, God, how could you allow something so horrible to happen? God, it looks like everything is just out of control. They're punching your son. They're putting crown of thorns on his head. They're shoving these things into his side. How could this happen? And what I want you to understand is there is not one single moment of the cross. There's not one hair plucked out of his beard, not one molecule of spit put in his eye, not one spear shoved in his side that wasn't under the sovereign control of his father down to the details of what's happening in the membrane sacs around his heart and his lungs to fulfill Scripture that says blood and water will come out of him. What I'm trying to say is God is in control of the pain that you're experiencing. He knows what you're going through down to the very detail. And the gospel, looking at what his son suffered, reminds us that he knows the details of my pain. And he invites me to in those moments where I think this is out of control to surrender to the God who can allow something as brutal as a cross, as gut-wrenching, as a spear going into the side of Savior to be something that even then shows us and points us to how our hearts and lives are changed even by symbolically a spear going into the side while plural, whatever that thing is that I just read about, is happening there to Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. And this was all pointing back to for us to be able to come to God, our hearts have to be cleansed. The only thing that cleanses that is blood. Water can never do the trick. But, track with me, you've got to understand that that, if you're a Hebrew listening, water was a big deal. This is why you maybe remember this from the gospels. There's this one story where Jesus' disciples, like it's dinner time, and they just, they're like our kids. They just start eating. Nobody washes their hands at all. They're just, they start eating. And the Pharisees, ooh, they're like them COVID hand-washing police. You know, I I can't, they're like, oh, Jesus. Our disciples know how important it is to be cleansed. They know how important it is to use that water the right way. But your disciples, they just sit down and start tearing into their chicken legs. What's going on? And Jesus is like, listen, guys. Y'all, he lets them have it, man. And and in multiple different places, he basically says, you know, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. He says, you guys care about washing, but here's what you need to understand. Your best washing is you just cleansing the outside and leaving the inside filthy. You wash the outside of the cup, you do all the good things with your water, but inside you're filthy. And what he was trying to explain to them and somebody explained to us is there's nothing that can cleanse you on the inside other than my blood. And... Once that happens, now, because my blood has cleansed you from the inside out, your body, what people now see, it will be more pure. Now, the holy water, the living fountain inside of you will begin to allow your life on the outside for people looking in to actually see someone whose life is pure, whose words are pure. They're not, like, hearing what you're saying going, but what do you mean? You know, like, not people going, hey, you're being really nice today. What do you want? Like, No, like my heart is pure. That's why I want what's best for you. That's why I asked, you know, that's why I gave you the compliment. That's what, because my heart is pure because Jesus has forgiven me. And So he gives us this pure heart, cleansed by his blood, this outer life that's now washed as him, the living fountain in us. But this is the heart that we come to him. So remember our verse, can we go back to the verse in Hebrews? This is the heart that we're supposed to come to him with, but still doesn't solve our problem. Let us draw near to that God, to Jesus. Let us draw near. So how, how do I get from here to near? This is still our question. I mean, think about it like this. If a third grade kid comes to you and goes, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, children's ministry worker, how do I draw near to God? Most of our answers are gonna be like how you would finish my sermon. Well, buddy, you need to read your Bible. You need to not be nice to people at school. You need to you know, come to church with us and you're gonna give them all those things. That's how you get closer to God. That's how you draw near to him. I wanna show you a few verses that as I wrestled through this this week, they, I just could not get these off my mind because I don't think our answer of how do you draw near to God is as simple as we make it. So let me show you a few passages and. and with the backdrop of how do I draw near to God in mind? Let's read these. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your all right, this life is supposed to draw near to God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Alright? Let me take you to another one. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul hits a little praise break right there. I love how he writes. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Okay, and then he starts back into his sentence. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, we're asking this question, how do I draw near to God? This would kind of make us go, well... Let's go to the next one. This one's pretty explicit. Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, we're trying to answer the question. How do I draw near to God? One more. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you so if you're like me and maybe you're not because I'm complicated I read this passage and it says draw near and my mind immediately goes to all these verses and then I immediately start asking this question how do I draw near to someone who lives inside of me All right? I mean, because again, if, if, we're, if we tell our kids, like, and again, I'm walking through my kids trying to explain the gospel to them and, like, and, and like, my boys are like, where's Jesus? And I'm like, well, he lives in your heart, okay? And I, I got, have the cutest video of Titus. And so he's like, he's like two years old. And he's is that Jesus in there moving when I feel my heart beeping? <laughs> um, and uh, we, we tell them that that's where Jesus is. He's in your heart. He's in you. And and again, that's not being heretical to our kids. Like those four scripture, and I got 12 more I could have shown you, they all back that truth and reality up. If you're in Christ, that's where he's at, okay? But then you read your kid Hebrews 10, 19, and 21 and says, draw near. And your third grader goes, well, how do I draw near to somebody who's inside my heart? Mom, dad, what do you say? (laughs) I don't know, go ask somebody else. Like, (laughs) how do I get closer to somebody who's in me? okay. This is one of the biggest problems that nobody talks about in Christianity. If Jesus is in you and he is with you and he is Jesus and God is God, that means we can't relate to them the way we relate to human beings. And so when we think about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want, like the Trinity, when we think about them and we think about the distance that maybe we feel between us, we think about that in regards to the way we think of human relationships. So, so think about like, like Barry High right here. Good, good, good great guy, great guy, okay? Me and Barry got a good relationship. Say I do something really mean to Barry, all right? And because I do something really mean to Barry, I sin against him. What does sinning against somebody cause in your relationship? Distance, right? He's not gonna invite me over to swim at the pool anymore. You know, <laughs> my kids are gonna be super blown. <laughs> And so is Jessica, let's be honest. Because there's sin, there's distance. Now, that's one way we do this with God. There's sin, so there's distance. The other way we do this would be like, if Barry came to me and said, listen, Trent, I'm getting a little bit older in life and I wanna be here for my grandkids and my great grandkids, so I wanna start working out with you. And I told Barry, okay, great, but if you're coming to my house, we're gonna do my workout plan. We're doing my weight, my sets, my reps, we're doing my stuff if you come to my house. Now, what's that's probably gonna create between Barry in regards to the workout plan? He's going, I don't think I can do that. And and he's probably, right? He's probably not showing up Monday morning (laughs) with a towel on his shoulder. Because I just told him what does it look like to come to my garage gym? We're doing my weight, my reps, my set, my plan. And it ain't easy. That's the way most of us are with God. The distance we feel is either because we know our mistakes and our sins and we go, ooh, there's distance there. Or we see holy, righteous, perfect Jesus. And if we wanna be on his team, we gotta do it his way. So we go, "Uh, I can't do that. And so we're left on these two sides where we go, well, let me get my weight up and then I can go start hanging out with him. So we try to stop sinning for a little while. We try to start going to church for a little while and we think, okay, I'm gonna really start feeling close to God when I get my spiritual weight up and I can handle the burden of being a Christian. Or we treat God like he's our dad when we were kids and we do something really sinful and wrong and we mess up, we sin, we do something bad against God and God's supposedly angry at us because we sinned and we think about him like he's our dad or our parent and we do that bad thing. And all of us know this as kids. When you got in like trouble, trouble, when you got one of them whoopings where you you cried so much that you like had to hit that... (gasps) You know, you, had, you couldn't barely breathe. You know what I'm talking about? That where you're crying so hard that it don't make no sounds anymore. Like, <laughs> you got one of those? You weren't coming out of your room, going to the game closet and pulling out Monopoly and going, God, mom, dad, let's go. Hey, let's play. Y'all want to play, right? Because you knew what were your parents going to do. Are you crazy? No, because what is going on? They're still mad at you. We're not about to play. We're not about to have fun. We're not about to engage back in the relationship. We're angry. What did you know you had to let pass before you could either ask for a treat, dessert, (laughs) ask to play a game, ask to go out and hang out with your friends? What did you have to let pass? Time. See, we treat God like our parents or we treat God like some authority figure that we could aspire to be like. Hear me. If you don't remember anything I said, remember this. If this is is for if you are in the room and you are in Christ, you have put your faith and your trust in his finished work on the cross. You have given him your life and you are someone in this room who knows you have received salvation from Jesus. This applies to you. If you have not, this doesn't. But if you were in Christ, that distance that you feel is not real. That distance that you feel is in your head, but it is not in your heart. Because if all those verses are true, they're either true or they're not. He's either, if you're in Christ, he's either in you and right beside you and right with you, or he's not. Stop treating divinity like it's humanity. Stop treating God the Father like your earthly father. When you sin, you have not created distance between you and him. I know this is, this, is, this is contrary. And some of you are like, you're like, you're thinking like, I'm gonna, I wanna send an email about this, but I don't know how to send an email about this. When we, if we're in Christ, we have received his salvation, he has saved us, then what has actually happened predicated on you drawing near to him is you understanding how near he has already drawn himself to you. That is is the entirety of the gospel. It's God coming to us, God drawing into us. God not saying, meet me halfway, but God saying, I'm going all the way. So if you open the door and surrender your life to me, I'm all the way up in there. Like you're my landlord now. I'm, I'm home in there. As crazy as that sounds. And so again, the distance I feel is distance in here, but it's not in my heart. And so what we've got to understand is when you do something wrong and you sin against a holy, righteous, perfect God, I don't have to treat him like my my dad and go, I got to let some time pass and then we can go talk again. No. (laughs) The whole wrath and punishment was poured out on Jesus. You can't, if you are punishing yourself for what you did wrong, then you're nullifying what Jesus has already done. And the other side is if I look at Jesus as this perfect model of what life as a man or a woman is supposed to look like here on earth and I see how perfect he was, I read the gospels and I see how he treated people, I read the gospels and I see how he spoke truth, I read the gospels and I see the way he lived and, and, and did what he did and I look at that and it just makes me feel so bummed out because I just feel like I would never be there. What I need to understand is I'm not trying to get there, there came here. And so when we talk about this draw near thing, track with me, because it, it, it does, you, you gotta still kind of go, well, Trent, well, like, but the Bible verse in Hebrews kind of says draw near. So like, how do I do that? <laughs> Here's what I need you to understand. Drawing near is not something I do by heading north, south, east, or west. Drawing near to God is me understanding that he has already drawn near to me and being aware of how close he actually is. Allowing my flesh and all the noise that it reverberates through my soul to be quieted down as my affections are now stirred for him. And I realize how close he has always been all the time. And to do this, we've got to stop believing the lie that if we're in Christ, our sin is somehow creating more distance between the two of us. And so I'll hear people say, and people I know are in Christ, man, pastor, I just, I just feel really far from God right now. And like, <laughs> in my head, I don't say this out loud because I'm, I'm usually nicer. In my head, I'm going, so what? Who cares how you feel? Like, that's not real. You're, are you in Christ? Yeah. Well, then that's a lie from either your flesh or the devil. You're, you're not far from God. But because you're thinking about God like a friend or a boss or a coworker or a dad, you're missing out on how close he really is. Now, If you are not in Christ, there is distance. The chasm between heaven and hell is that distance. And right now, if you've not put your faith and your trust and your hope in Christ, hell is where your life is headed. Because Either you can stand before a holy, righteous, perfect God and say, I wanna offer my righteousness as my reasons for being with you and be miserably let down. Or you can go, I could not do this. I could not give myself a clean conscience. I needed Jesus to do that. And so Jesus, I accept you I accept you cleansing my heart. And now in the exchanged life, I'm giving my life to you so that Galatians 2.20 would be made evident in my life. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who is living through me. That's what drawing near looks like. It's people being around and going, man, that's not, I know them, that ain't them. Like that's Jesus for sure. Like they don't talk like that. They don't walk like that. They don't spend money like that. They don't do that. That's gotta be Jesus. So hear me if you are not in Christ right now, you have not put your faith and trust in him, the call to draw near for you is both your heart and your head. And please don't believe in your head that me and Jesus are cool when in your heart you know you're really not. And to the Christians in the room, don't believe that in your heart you're really not cool with Jesus because your head is telling you you're not. We both have equal but opposite problems, whether you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. So my plea is to see what the gospel says, what the Bible says about this reality, that he is in us and we are in him. And I wanna leave you with a question that I think hopefully will give you some actually practical things that you can do. Because again, I know all this is like very eye-opening for you, probably hopefully the way it was for me. So I wanna show you a passage out of the book of 1 John. First John, this is uh, Jesus' closest friends writing this towards the end of his life. He's trying to just give it to the people that he's writing to straight as he can because he knows that his time is limited. So he's not cutting any corners. He telling me exactly what he's saying. He said, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Mm, no, I'll do that next week. God is love. I was gonna go off tangent, but we'll we're go. Good, we're good. We'll stick with this. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. So what you're seeing here is a mutual residency. I abide in love, I abide in God, God abides in me. We're working together through this thing. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. It's God's love that's perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. When that day of judgment comes, I don't wanna have to stand and say, I am going to stand on all the nice, good things I did to just be a good person. I'm gonna stand on my love for the world and all its children and all its people. My love to be, to be a good person. My love for myself to be a good person who can make it to God. No, when I stand before the day of judgment, I'm gonna stand not on my love, my works, my deeds. I'm gonna stand on God's love for me that I completely, utterly did not deserve. Because he is also... Um, because he is so, also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And again, we don't have to have this fear down here in your head that goes, oh, there's this difference between me and God and I gotta, I gotta shore that up. I gotta draw that gap back in. No, the punishment has already happened. Jesus was already punished. He took that. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's a scary verse right there when you figure out what that really means. He says, we love because he first loved us. So love hits me in the inside of my heart and then fires its way back out. So this leads me to a question where I think maybe we can talk about some practical things. The question is this, what stirs my affections for Christ? So this, This is this love abiding in me. This is that stirring my affections. Now, again, like practically speaking, when I talk about stirring my affections for Christ, it's me realizing as the Holy Spirit stirs in me my affections and my love for Christ, how close he actually is. We've got to stop thinking about what do I need to do to get closer to God? Now, if you're not in Christ, what you need to do to get closer to God is pray, believe, have faith, repent, be baptized, and and, and follow after Jesus for the rest of your life. If you're in Christ, what do I need to do to get closer to Christ? Let your affections for him stir. There's nothing you could do to get any closer than you already are. So allow your affections for him to be stirred so that your affections for the things of this world continue to die off as they are being crucified. So this is the question. What stirs my affections for Christ? Now this is where it gets practical and this is where you've got to answer this question for you. There are some in here that are obvious, And I know, again, in a message about how to draw near to God, uh, officially, here it is, you wrote the message already, stirring my affection for God, being in his word, for sure. Being in prayer. I would actually put those two together and go pray his word. I dare you to like pray his word. Don't just read it and then go pray. Actually pray through what you're reading and watch something different start in your heart as you're praying and you're letting that stir your affection from God. I think, and we're gonna get in this in week three, being here together stirs our affection for God as we encourage each other, as we hear each other worship. But kind of outside of those, it's open season, guys. And here's what you need to understand. What may stir your heart and your affections for God may not stir somebody else's. Some of you are like, what stirs my affection for God is just inviting over people over to my house and just being super hospitable. For me, I don't like that, Mm-mm. I, I'm I'm good. Like, I'll, you know, yeah, y'all hang out. You know, I'll come to your house, or, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I'm an extrovert, but like, like there's times where it's like, I, I, there's too much. I need I need to see my house. Some of you, what stirs your affection for God? It, it's going on walks in the in the woods. You're going, going to just be with God out in nature. So you're looking forward to hunting season, like man, I just feel like I connect with God when I'm out in the out in the wilderness. Some of you are like I connect with God when I'm getting a nice massage at a spa, like I just I can just breathe or getting a pedicure, ladies. Like I feel like those are the things that stir my affection because I can just breathe in it and, and allow His peace to rest in my soul. But for me, this is this is this is the fun part about being in a relationship with God because you discover these as you go. Like for me, one of the things that stirs my affection for God as much as I love singing here with you guys. I've kind of got to this place where as much as I love to stand and sing and it was amazing being here with you guys, my favorite songs that I sing are nowhere near this building. Last night I was in the shower while Jessica was putting the boys down and I went to just kind of like give my last little, you know, goodnight, I love you guys. Um, and they're, they sleep in different rooms. So I go to Ezra and he's my youngest. And um, Ezra goes, uh, I, I tell him goodnight. And he's like, um, dad, can you sing me a song? Mom forgot to, and it, he didn't want mom. Singing a song was not even on his mind. He was just, that's a ploy to get me to stick around a little bit longer. That's um, how, you know how kids are. You know, I was surprised he didn't ask for a cup of water. You know how kids are. Anyway, he says, dad, can you sing me a song? And I'm like, sure, buddy. What do you want to hear? I know he wants to hear. He says, um, can you sing Reckless Love? Now, as I start to sing this song over my son, and I, and I just see that little little boy and the look on his eyes as he hears his father singing the song over him. I sang that song dozens of times, uh, maybe you know, multiple dozens of times in here with you guys and never does it stir my affections more than when I'm singing that song over my son. Now, if you're babysitting my kids and you come up and you're putting Ezra down and he, uh, he says, hey, can you sing me a song? And you go, yeah, what do you want to hear? And, like, you've got, like, one Christian song memorized. <laughs> and you're like, please say Jesus love me. Please say Jesus love me. Please say Jesus love me. <laughs> and, and and my boy rolls out Reckless Love. And you're like, bro, I don't know. You're having to pull this out of your phone and looking at lyrics. And, and you kind of start to sing. And he's like, and he calls you out. He's like, you're getting it. Uh, no, I'm good. Like, he, he's like, just let's pray. You know, like. <laughs> He's polite, he'll, he'll politely excuse you from that, but, but it's not gonna stir your affections for Christ because you're not me and I'm not you. The things that would stir your affection for God, they're not gonna stir mine. And this is where you get to go, Jesus, and this is what's crazy about this. <clears throat> Many times what I've found is the things that actually stir your affections for Christ are the things that going into them, you thought they were gonna hurt. They, the things that stir my affections for Christ, what I'm finding out now, are things that require me to die to my flesh. Like Jessica and some of the women of this church did an absolutely amazing job yesterday, putting on an absolutely amazing women's conference. Um, Just praise God for for them and what they did. That was amazing. But but one of the things that I hate I hate with a passion is dishes. I just don't like dishes. Never like dishes. Um, but yesterday I knew I, I knew like they're in the dishwasher, and part of me is going like it's full, man. Like we're you're to that point where you can't put anything else in. You gotta put stuff in the sink, right? And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to have to start the dishwasher and then unload the dishwasher and do all that before she gets here because that's my flesh. Like because I'm lazy. That's part of my flesh. Like I, I just want to, and again, maybe, maybe you're not as twisted as I am, but part of my flesh goes, I don't want to spend this time doing this dishwasher stuff because I want to go play with my kids. I want to go, you know, because your mind can make up, re- <laughs> think about how fast your mind can make up really good reasons not to crucify your flesh. Here's what's crazy. Your mind can even give you godly reasons not to crucify your flesh. <laughs> good reasons. But in that moment, I know, and I'm I'm sorry for making myself a hero in one of these stories. It's like, I knew in that moment, it's like, I have to do this. And there's joy that comes from that. There's joy from being able to show my wife, I appreciate you, and I don't want you to have to go and sacrifice and serve this body of Christ and then have to come back in when I know you're gonna be on empty and come in and have to serve us when I could have done this. And so... What I'm saying is, first of all, this is like the first time I've got that right in a decade or so. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> those are those moments when you can just tell that you have stirred your affections for Christ by allowing the things that keep you from experiencing the fullness of Christ in you to die off. And the thing that should make us most in love with Jesus is when we see less of our love for Jesus divided from things of this world and things of him. And so friends, when I talk about communion with you guys and talk about what it means and represents, communion is this thing that we're able to hold in our hands and then put in our mouths that, re- that represents and exemplifies to us that he has given all of himself to us and here's what's fascinating about communion. I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you've gone to church. What never happens when people take communion, they don't take that wafer thing and just start rubbing it on their face. You know, Nobody pours the juice on their head and just you know, kind of rubs it in their hair for the moisturizing aspects of it. Nobody does those things. Where do they put it? On the inside. And again, it's like Jesus knew what he was doing to say, I've given all of me to not go to change the outside of you. I've given all of me to change you on the inside so that it comes through to the outside. And as you pray to him today and you receive communion, the broken body and the poured out blood, I pray that you ask him some of those questions. Jesus, what stirs my affection for you? Show me the things. And you just go back in your past. Go back and think of the times where you just felt like your heart beat faster. Maybe you got some goosebumps on your thing. Like you just knew this was one of the things that stirred my affections for Christ. This is one of those moments in time where I felt my flesh being crucified off and Jesus being more real to me than any time before. And confess, maybe even, Jesus, I'm sorry. I now realize the distance that was in my head was never distance in my heart, that you have always been right there. And the same way that you are here for me, I am here for you. Do with my life, whatever you will. And friends, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, today is the day where you, hopefully by the grace of God, after hearing the gospel, you now draw near by putting your whole faith and trust in him. If you're here and you wanna draw near to Jesus for the very first time, I would love to take you from experiencing what his blood has done on the inside of you and then take you to the water and let your sins be cleansed away and let you come up a new life, fully redeemed, fully restored. And so if you're here today and you wanna be baptized, I'll be back there in the very back as the song is playing, as people are receiving communion. If you wanna get baptized, just walk back there and meet with me and, and you will feel your life having been drawn near to the throne of grace, your heart cleansed and then your body washed. We have everything that you would need to be baptized today. And so today I pray you would draw near. Let's pray. Father, move in our hearts, move in our lives, do the things inside of your people today that only you could do. You are only hope. You are only one worthy of trusting. I pray that in this moment, nobody in this room would be trusting or, or leaning into their own emotions that we would understand, Jesus, that you're right here. You're with us. You're for us. Help us to stop believing the lies, whether from our head, from the enemy who has whispered in our ears if we are in you you are in us and we can never get closer than we are right now and for those drawing near for the very first time today Jesus give them the surrender they have to have I pray you make them sick and tired of trying to do it on their own that they can practice the holy art of giving up So they can meet the one who never gave.